Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in John chapter 3, uh, which includes, of course, John 3.16. Uh, but 3.16 is in the context of, of the Nicodemus story. Um, and, but, but in order to understand what's going on in this chapter, we, we again have to go back to chapter 1, where, where John lays out the theological foundation and interpretive a key to, to the, the narrative that follows in the book. Remember that Jesus is four things in chapter 1. He is Logos, so thus the divine Son of God. He is life, he is light, and he is Lamb. All, right. All four of those are going to pop up throughout the narrative. And in chapter 3, the main one that shows up is light, particularly in the Nicodemus story. But even within these two stories, we'll see a logo story with John the Baptist afterwards. Um, but even within these, we see these, these other themes. Notice that the light is, is hinted at thematically in the opening verses. Is there was a Pharisee uh, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We talked yesterday about the word signs, how that functions in John's gospel. And of course, we've, we've seen a sign, the eternal water and the wine. We've seen a reference to signs, and Nicodemus is talking about this. Now, the synoptics give us a bunch of miracles. Uh, but John highlights uh, seven main ones, and the last being the, the resurrection. And the uh, uh, turn water and wine is, is the first uh, of, of those signs. Um, so, so Nicodemus is someone who sees the signs and recognizes that they tell us something about who Jesus is. He's the Logos, the life, the light, the Lamb. But notice how John describes the setting here. Again, in verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said, now, not to insult your intelligence, but daytime has light, nighttime is in darkness, right? That's part of the creation story, uh, because before you have the sun, moon, and stars, uh, what you have is day and night, uh, light and, and darkness, already uh, uh, clearly uh, uh, laid out there for us. So we're, we're seeing that here. It isn't just that Nicodemus is quizzing Jesus, wanting to know more about him, but that he comes in darkness. But he's in darkness himself in, 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 in nighttime, but he's coming to the light. Now, if you're sitting there, or whatever context in which you're, you're hearing this, and you're thinking, okay, preacher, I see your point, but you're making this up. Right. Um, this is what uh, people do. They overanalyze things. Um, they overanalyze movies and works of art and books and all this sort of stuff. Sometimes it's just a story about a whale, right? Well, well, I get your point, but let the writer tell you the themes he's making. We've already established light in, in uh, chapter 1, but you'll notice that... Um, um, after John 3.16, right, we, we know that well. Notice the emphasis. This is still in the context of, of Nicodemus. Um, in verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than the light. What's the story of Nicodemus? Nicodemus does not embrace the gospel here. He doesn't enter the kingdom of God. Rather, he stays in the darkness. People prefer darkness over light. Why? Because their works are evil. Light... Uh, does a number of things. One, it illuminates. If you are um, on, you know, walking a trail in the middle of the night, a flashlight helps you make your way out. At the same time, if you're a robber 
and someone shines a spotlight on you, you're caught in the act. Uh, you've, you've been exposed. So light both illuminates and it exposes. Now, those who want to be in the light understand that light will illuminate things. But those whose deeds are evil want to keep them in the dark. They don't want to be exposed. And what Jesus is doing here as light is exposing. He'll do the same thing in chapter 4 with the woman at the well. Except when exposed, she then sees the light as being illuminating. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light, lest his work should be exposed. Whoever does uh, what is true comes to light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. So this Nicodemus story in, in the broader th themes of John has to do with Jesus as the light of the world. Now that's going to come back later. We, we talked about chapter 1 and what not. So uh, Nicodemus comes, tells about these signs, and Jesus' message is simple. You must be born again. And Nicodemus takes that and he does what a lot of the other characters will do. Um, so so Jesus will say, um, eat my body, drink my blood, and people think, oh, we're not into that cannibalism thing. Right? He does this often where he will use an illustration and people will confuse the, the spiritual with the physical. So when Nicodemus, when he hears, you must be born again, he assumes a physical application as opposed to the spiritual application. We saw this yesterday, didn't we? Tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, they, they see a physical uh, issue when they should see a spiritual one. Later, Jesus will flip it. Uh, he, he will speak of a physical hope, and, and uh, Mary and Martha will see it as a spiritual hope, right? Those who believe in me uh, will live, right? I am the resurrection and the life. Well, so Nicodemus says, how can one be born again? You can't enter your, your mother's womb. Now, a lot of people think, well, of course, adults can't go in their mother's womb. But let's, let's think about this. Newborn infants can't go in their mother's womb. Part of the reason why they were born, right? You, you, you can't put a baby back into the womb. So, so, so clearly, that should be evidence enough that Jesus doesn't mean physical rebirth, but spiritual rebirth. And so Jesus explains that one must be born again. Remember, you go all the way back to chapter 1, and, and the point of the signs there in chapter 2 is Jesus' logos brings, the, brings new out of the old. Rebirth is consistent with that idea. Jesus, as the light, exposes, illuminates, and gives us new birth. Why? Because he's not just light, he is life. You must be born again. Remember that the gospel is not coming to Jesus and saying, uh, I need fire insurance for when I die. I don't want to go to hell. But rather, it is a new identity, a new life. We become new people on account of, of Christ. You go down to verse 12, it says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Notice, Nicodemus is still in the dark. Jesus is illuminating, but he's not seeing it. He is, we'll discover in chapter 9, he is blind. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now notice that language is reminiscent of what we saw in chapter 1 with Nathan, Nathaniel, Nathan, that you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, right? Um, the Son of God. Here we have something similar, that mankind cannot ascend Jacob's ladder cannot ascend into the heavens. 
Rather, what we need is one who can descend. This is John chapter 1, verse 14. The word, the logos, became flesh and tabernacled among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Father. So, when Jesus speaks, he is speaking words of light and life, and because they come from the Father. And then notice verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, the story he has in mind here is when um, poisonous snakes came into the Israeli camp when they were um, uh, in the wilderness. And uh, so what God told Moses to do is to uh, take this bronze serpent, put it at the top of the hill. And when people would lift their eyes to the hill, that's where their hope comes from, they, they, they will be healed. And those who don't look up uh, will, will die of the uh, poison of, of the snake. Well, Jesus takes that and uses this as a picture of the cross. When the Son of Man is lifted up, um, then... Um, um, you, you, you will be born again. So how does one um, come to the light and receive life when the Son of Man is lifted up, when he bears our sins upon the cross? And that is why, verse 15, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Well, the one who is life grants life. Now, that is where I believe, and your red-letter Bibles will disagree with me, I believe where Jesus stops talking. And starting in verse 16 is when John starts speaking. This is common within the Bible. Uh, Moses does this. John does this throughout his, his, his gospel. But, but typically, we, this is a red-letter text, chapter 3, verse 16. I think it's John giving us a theological interpretation of the narrative we just saw. And what is it we see? We see logos language, life language, and light language. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever believes in him, will not perish, die, but have eternal life, everlasting life. Well, that's the life language. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is, is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Logos, the Son of God. And then we get the light language we read earlier. You see how all this is coming? So, so because he offers himself as a lamb, he extends life as the Logos, and he comes to, as light to expose and to eliminate. It's beautiful, isn't it? When you allow the Bible to tell its own story, really is beautiful. Well, I want to briefly, and we have to do this briefly, because I've probably already gone longer than I anticipated, but that's the problem with the Gospels is their chapters are a lot longer and there's usually a lot going on. We get the story about John the Baptist. Now, John assumes you know what happens to the baptizer. In fact, he says, verse 24, for John had not yet been in prison, and he never tells us when he gets in the prison, uh, nor does he tell us what happens to him when he goes to the prison. He just assumes you as a reader already know. It's my belief that when John wrote this gospel, um, the people he wrote it to, probably the elders of uh, in the church in Ephesus, um, they already had in possession one of the synoptic gospels, probably Mark um, but it's, that's, that's a debatable point. And this is one of the hints at that. They, they already know what happens to John the Baptist. And so he's not going to spend a lot of time on what happens to him. But basically, people come up to John and say, look, people are leaving you to go to Jesus. And we've already seen some examples of that in John's gospel, Nathaniel and some others. Um, and what is John the Baptist's answer? Um, you yourself, verse 28, bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Logos. I am not the Christ but I've been sent before him. This takes us back to chapter 1. 
So I'm not the Logos. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and who and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. And that is, that is essentially the, the curtain call of John the Baptist. Right? So, so, so as important of a figure as he is, as a prophetic figure, the last of the prophets, Christ is the true and greater prophet as the Logos, as the light, as the life, as the Lamb. In fact, notice how chapter 3 ends. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's Logos life language. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Now notice there. You won't see life. You need the light in order to see the life that Christ extends. It's fantastic, isn't it? How well written the Bible is if we would read it as the Bible wants us to. The wrath of God remains on him. This is very Johannine language. Go back to 1 John, very black and white. Yet in the gospel, he weaves these four themes together quite beautifully. Well, I think that's enough for today. We'll look at chapter 4, The Woman at the Well, Lord willing, tomorrow. Hope to see you then.